Welcome to the Mindful SLP, the podcast for SLPs looking for simple tools and optimal outcomes. Your host is Denise, experienced speech therapist specializing in all things pediatric, and Dan, business manager for her private clinic. Welcome to the Mindful SLP. Thanks for joining us this week. Today we're going to do just a little bit of a background on Denise and uh, the mindfulness idea of speech therapy. So first off, Denise is a speech therapist. She has over 25 years background in schools and in private practice. Where all have you worked, Denise? I have worked in public schools. I've worked for child development centers and I've been in private practice for about five years now. So what's your favorite people to work with? The kiddos. I love working with the kiddos. And most of my career has been spent working with little kids, the pediatric population. And when I say little, um, I also worked with, I do work with junior high kids, love them too. So that's pretty much the range. It's kind of hard to love junior high kids sometimes. It It can be kind of hard to love some of those three-year-olds too. I got some stories, but anyway, (laughs) I do love them all. And my philosophy has changed over the years and I find it, find I'm a much more effective therapist now because of this mindfulness technique, if you want to call it a technique. It's a mindset, the mindfulness mindset that I use now when I come to working with a client. So what is your mindfulness? What is is that philosophy? It's a lot of observation, a lot of stepping back and looking at the whole child, which we are told, I mean, I was told that in school, but I didn't really understand how to do it. I don't know if I was instructed how to do it, and i that's why I'm doing this podcast, so I can give you some ideas of how to really observe. Sometimes we think we're being observant, and we are not really being observant. So let's start there. <laughs> why do a podcast? Well, I just wanted to share what I've learned. Um, okay, so when I first looked into becoming a speech therapist, I interviewed a speech therapist at a college I went to, And one thing she told me that as much as she loved it, she said, it's very stressful. It's a very stressful uh, profession. Well, that didn't put me off. I was glad it didn't put me off. What would be stressful about it? You have the weight and the burden of helping these kids progress through life. Communication is so important. It's so vital to being a functioning member of society. And you can see that as a speech therapist. You can see the gap between where the child is now and where they could be, and that can be really huge. That can just weigh down on you. So it's a lot of pressure to try and make sure that the kids actually do the progression, that they actually can reach everything they can, Mm -hmm. and if they don't, you take that stress onto yourself? Mm -hmm. You do. So tell me about that a little bit more then. So what do you do about that? I mean, in your earlier years, how did you handle that stress? Well, I've got a story about that. So when I was working in a school district and I had a special needs preschool as part of my caseload, I had two preschoolers. They both had Down syndrome and I saw them on the same day. And it just so happened that both of them, they were really low in language and they were fairly passive communicators. So it was hard to get them engaged. And my philosophy back then was uh, I don't know if you've heard what fires together, wires together. So no. if you get someone really engaged, you get those neurons going, 
the, ch- the client's really engaged, that fires together, and the activity you're doing with that will wire together those neurons. So you're creating a learning pathway. Okay, that makes so, sense. So a client needs to be engaged to do that. So, and my thinking is to get them out of this passive state they were in by doing being really physically active. Uh, so we kicked balls and we threw balls and we ran after them. We used words like in and out. We would throw them in a basket. We even physically crawled through those tubes because, you know, they have those tubes in the preschool <laughs> and swings all of that kind of stuff just to get them to say some words. So I'm thinking, okay, if they say in and if they're really engaged and they're throwing the ball in the basket, that's going to fire together that word in. Oh, so so you're thinking that the the fires together, or yeah, what fires together is an active type fire. Yeah, well, well, it's being engaged. And that's Mm -hmm. the only way I can think of to get them really engaged was to do lots of physical activity. And they did have fun. How'd it work out, though, for the speech therapy? (laughs) So I was really tired. (laughs) (laughs) They have you outnumbered on years. Yeah. um, They were having fun. I would have fun. I could keep it going while I was with them and be engaged. But at the end of the day, when I was done, I was just exhausted. But, But the amount of energy used to get them to say anything was exhausting and they weren't really making significant progress. Mm-hmm. So these words that they were using, and they were saying words, were more like happy accidents than something. What do you mean by happy accidents? Okay, so a happy accident is like, suppose you are not a great soprano, and you're singing the Star Spangled Banner, and there's that note that's way up there. Mm, yes, but, everybody but you're, misses it. Okay, but you're in a group or whatever, and you hit it. Because mm-hmm. maybe you've got a strong soprano standing next to you. And you're just like, whoo, and you do that. Have you really mastered that note? Of course. <laughs> no. Well, maybe you have. By <laughs> no. the way, Dan is a great singer, so he pro- <laughs> he does have all these notes mastered. But I don't, so I can, um, I've been had the experience of lots of times having happy accidents with notes and not, ever, not being able to replicate it because it wasn't really mastered. I don't really understand how it even got there. Mm-hmm. It just happened. Um, it was a one-off. And so that's what a happy accident is. It's just, just the, the accidental... Well, it shows you the potential, which is great. The potential is there. Mm-hmm. But the benefit of mindfulness is focusing on what really needs to change so that can be mastered. So it's focusing on what is around that to build on. So, you know, putting the foundations together mm-hmm. so that it can happen again and again. Yeah. Because, you know actually being a singer and knowing that note in the Star Spangled Banner, you have to practice a lot, but you have to actually practice up, uh, get your voice warmed up low before you can go high with mm-hmm. any kind of support. you got to make sure you have enough air support, mm-hmm. all those same things that happen in speech, right? Well, I love that you said air support because air support is a fundamental uh, speech mechanism that often as speech therapists, we haven't been taught enough about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Many of these little clients who have really um, complex communication disorders, such as Down syndrome, they lack the air support to consistently produce sound or to to have sound mastered. Um, They lack control of their jaw 
to produce consistent vowel sounds, control their jaw and their lips to make really clear, distinct vowel sounds. And that is the foundation that is missing and why they weren't getting mastery. Well, is that something that's taught in schools, the, all those pieces that go into it? I didn't really learn it in a way that connected it in my mind. So when I was in school and we took the anatomy of speech, it was kind of boring. <laughs> but, and I love anatomy, but it was not really connected to what would actually see in the clinic. It was like, you're going to memorize these cranial nerves. You know, and there's little monomic to memorize <laughs> cranial nerves. And this is what they did. You're going to men- memorize the, where the nerves come in and where they come out, the muscles. Um, so all the technical, technical stuff. Technical stuff. And we did learn that speech was an overlaid function. And the professor kept emphasizing that, but it didn't connect to my mind. Speech is an overlaid function of the mechanism we use to eat and breathe. But until we really look at and know how to see, can do they have breast support? Do they have control of their jaw? Are they using their the muscles of their face, their lips and their cheeks, to shape the vocal tract? So when did you learn that something needed to change, and how how did you go about realizing that you could do something different? Well, I got trained in prompt. What's prompt? Prompt is a way of looking at the client's speech subsystem. So you look at how the muscles move. You look at how the client's body is even, you look at their posture even. Sometimes their posture is not conducive to speech, mm-hmm. not conducive for breast support, things like that. It's wiggling around on a chair, <laughs> hopping on down on one foot. Or being uh, having a hypo tonus or hypertonus so having too much muscle contraction or not enough muscle contraction be low tone or high tone is how mm-hmm. you might think of it even Talking looking after a jaw clenched <laughs> yeah <laughs> Gee, you can sound and hear that huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes you can hear how that wasn't very clear speech so you need to look at all of those things you need to look at what uh okay so my orchestra teacher always said the orchestra is no better than the weakest player mm-hmm. she didn't want any of us to slack off and let the more skilled players carry the orchestra. Right. So your your speech subsystem, your speech system is no stronger than your weakest function. So these little kiddos I was working with, after I was prompt trained, I came back and I was like, oh, they don't have good breast support. They don't have good jaw control. They can't round their lips and say, oh, with mm-hmm. consistency. There were the one-offs. Oh, but mm-hmm. not consistently. So, of course, these words aren't getting mastered. Right, because they don't even realize that when they do say it, what, what went into it, because it was just, like I said, a happy accident. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, but what did you do? Well, I don't know. But if you don't stop and work on it and and yeah. point it out, then they don't learn what that is. It can't be replicated. So what does it look like then? How do you help these kiddos? Well, figure that out. it was great because I sat them on the floor face-to-face with me. We were sitting, not running and not jumping, <laughs> face-to-face doing really simple activities that they thought was just as much fun as throwing balls. I mean, blowing bubbles, really simple cause-and-effect toys. You blow up a balloon and you let the balloon go. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to run around. I mean, okay, I have a stock of balloons and we let a bunch go and then we gather them up at the end so we're not <laughs> easier <Keep laughs> and more focused. time more time efficient <laughs> keep keep focused and we can get many more repetitions than saying in when you throw a, a ball in and then you have to go retrieve the ball if it didn't go in or get it out of wherever it is and do it again uh, 
not that physical activity can't be good because it can be good. It depends on where you are at, you mm-hmm. know, and how many repetitions you can get. Um, so I'm not totally dismissing physical activity because I do do it and incorporate it when it's needed. But for these little guys, it was just really the simple focus of sitting face-to-face with them. So eye contact and an engaging activity, that equals engagement. Mm-hmm. You don't have to expend all this energy. And for me, I could say, oh, my one focus today is my one focus is for them to have breast support. And maybe we're only trying a couple words mm-hmm. or vowel sounds that we are modifying to be a word like off or on. Mm-hmm. Something like that, or uh for up. Maybe they're not even ready for the P. So they, yeah, you're just working on focusing on one aspect mm-hmm. until they can repeat that, and then you start adding on to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you need to be prompt trained to be able to do this mindful activities? No, you don't. It was just a way for me to see how I could be more effective, a way to kind of wake me up to what mm-hmm. I was doing. If... I wouldn't be doing this podcast if you have to be prompt trained. I'd just say, go get prompt trained. Uh-huh. And while I do love prompt therapy, and I think it's hugely beneficial, that's not what this podcast is about. It's about being mindful. It's about stepping back, observing what foundational thing is your client missing that you can fill in because you won't be able to build your house without a good foundation. It's going to be shaky. You won't make steady progress that really moves the needle without looking at these basic fundamental skills. And that's what you're looking for with this podcast is to help speech therapists find simple activities to focus and be able to move the needle on everybody's therapy. Yes, because I have found that the activities don't need to be really complex. In fact, the complexity can take away from your ability to be effective. And I do have lots of toys, but mm-hmm. they're, they're simple toys simple activities so we can focus on the communication, on the back and forth, on the relationship. And so what is your plan for this podcast? Where do you see this going? Why do people want to listen to it? Well, we could all use less stress in our lives. Mm-hmm. So a therapy that is stress-free is wonderful. It's freeing. Mm-hmm. It's very freeing to be able to focus on just one thing in that therapy session. Mm-hmm. And to really, and to know that it's the right thing to focus on. I'd like to help other speech therapists determine what is that one thing I'm missing because I've discovered a lot of those as I've been exploring mindfulness and just introduce them to ways and activities and things I've discovered. So they help you progress. I mean, they help you help the client progress and they help lift that burden off your shoulders of, oh my goodness, are they progressing? Mm-hmm. Because you can see them progressing, but you're not trying to build the walls. You're not trying to put the windows on. You're not trying to put the roof on or paint the house before you've got the foundation built. What does that look like? If I was going to start doing mindful therapy tomorrow, what would it kind of start looking like? What would I need to practice first? What's the number one thing to start doing? You need to practice helping the client be in the same space with you without being distracted by toys and activities. When my clients first come in, there isn't a toy on the table. Mm-hmm. We usually do some personal engagement, mindfulness sort of activity where we're looking at each other. And that client, to the point they are capable, they're sitting next to me or they're sitting across from me and we're looking at each other and we're paying attention to each other and our bodies are still. Mm -hmm. And the reward of that is, and it is rewarding, is that we're looking at each other and there's a connection. 
So sitting still, you know, working directly with the client to become engaged, looking at them, Mm -hmm. getting eye contact, and really being in the moment with your, your clients. And don't be surprised if some clients who aren't used to this are uncomfortable with that. Sorry, uncomfortable with that, especially clients who are on the spectrum. Uh, they have these anxiety levels, and they feel like they need to be constantly engaged in something, so their bodies are always moving or their eyes are always looking around. And some of the more severe clients can actually start to tantrum just if you're asking them to just be still with you in the moment because something's not going on mm-hmm. to distract them from their own anxiety. So you, and that's a whole other podcast about how to work with some of those clients to get them to be mindful because they can make progress that you never thought they could make mm-hmm. if you can get them into a mindful state. Okay. All right. Well, we will link to the uh, prompt in the show notes and we'll uh, come back next week with some more. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. That's right. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.